Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to help yoga teachers transform their teaching by mastering the fundamentals of anatomy. By learning anatomy in my easy step-by-step way, you'll be able to confidently share it in your cues, easily create sequences, and you'll eagerly answer student questions. And all along the way, you'll increase your impact and earning potential. On the podcast here, you will hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, go ahead and visit barebonesyoga.com, my website, for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all that are there, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. And if you'd like, send me a one-line email with the answer to this question. What's your biggest frustration right now as a yoga teacher? And I'm happy to do some brainstorming with you in a free coaching session. My email address is karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get to today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 166. So I am recording this here on January, Monday, January 17th. And oh my God, can I just tell you just a quick little weather update? I woke up at six o'clock this morning. I thought the entire house was going to blow away. It was terrifying. So for those of you in the Boston area, you can probably relate and this will post today. So if you're listening uh, today or tomorrow, you probably have a memory of of the weather. Anyway, um, I hope things are going well for you. Uh, I hope that you had a really nice weekend. Um, I've got a special guest on the podcast today, so I'm not going to take too long here in the intro before introducing you to our guest. I've been kind of on a roll lately, and I'm so grateful to the guests that have been on. I also want to just acknowledge those of you who've reached out to me um, in email or social media posts or just shared in conversations we've had that you listen to the podcast. I really, really appreciate that. And I also want to just make a mention. I know the past couple of episodes I've mentioned since it's January, goal setting, and just different themes around goal setting. And I guess I just want to say this. um, If you're out there and you've set some goals for your yoga teaching, and now it's the middle of January, and you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed or stuck or unsure about how you're going to move forward, Will you get in touch with me? I have a process that I've taken yoga teachers through. I actually had a number of sessions this week, and I'm so grateful to the teachers who signed up for these info sessions um, because I absolutely love doing them. And they all demonstrated such courage and such openness and such willingness in, um, in participating in these sessions and found them to be very helpful to them in terms of helping them realize what it is they want from their yoga teaching, where they want to go with their yoga teaching. Um, It was very powerful for me to um, witness some of the realizations that they came to. And um, I just hold those conversations so dear to my heart and was glad that the teachers felt like uh, those sessions were helpful. So if you want to participate in one of those sessions, 
all you need to do is right on my homepage, you'll see at the bottom, there's a link for setting up a mentorship info session. Now, I don't want you to get worried that um, there's any obligation to buy anything or anything along those lines. Uh, I just um, want to point you in the direction of that link as a way for me to manage anybody who um, puts a request in. Um, so that's what I would say. It's a wonderful, um, helpful process to go through. It's about a 60 minute phone call. We'll do it via Zoom and it will give you um, some really powerful realizations that will support you in your work uh, uh, as a yoga teacher for the rest of this year. So having said that, I want to take a moment to let you know that today's episode is a conversation I'm having with a friend, a colleague, Angela Wagner, who is a, a yoga teacher and a life coach. She comes to us uh, from the Dallas area. Angela and I go back many years and we talk in the beginning of these of this episode about how we connected and she shares um, her yoga story. I think it's always helpful and, and interesting to when I have yoga teachers on the show to have them share their background, where they came from. And she also goes into a little bit about uh, her studio's transition during this time of the pandemic. And I think for those of you listeners who are yoga uh, studio owners, in addition to being yoga teachers, you'll find that part of the conversation interesting and I hope helpful. And then we go into a conversation around um, the work that we all have the opportunity to do to live a better life, to, to have more joy in our lives, to achieve the things we want to achieve, to let go of so much of the emotional baggage and self-limiting belief luggage that we all tend to carry throughout our lives. And uh, I really was moved by the conversation that we had because I found her to be super inquisitive and insightful and intelligent and full of wisdom from her years of experience coaching, um, coaching people. So um, I think that's, that's pretty much the, the overview that I'll share. You're, you're going to learn a lot more and I really think you'll, you'll love this conversation. Stay tuned until the end because Angela does share at the end some specific ways that you can connect with her and uh, inquire about some of the programs that she offers. So let's get into that uh, conversation that I had today, just now with Angela Wagner. Hi there. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. This is That's so fun. I love your um your Zoom background. It must be a different thing that I haven't tried yet. Is it it's like called blur? So because like look at my back. This is so embarrassing, but I'll show you what this room looks like right now. And so when the bed's not made. <laughs> oh, lovely. So you yeah, if you go to your backgrounds, you just okay. blur it. And it's that looks great. Yeah, like if you're ever in a place where you're like, oh crap, I don't want yeah. you to. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here on the podcast and thank you so much for reaching out. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm honored that we could get this going. It's so oh, exciting. Of course, of course. So um, I would love to, you know, for the listeners out there, I, I would love to give them some context for how we know each other, which, yeah. you know, to be honest, I mean, I feel like it's sort of a laugh <laughs> from the past. And so, you know, maybe what we could do is just start out with, 
I remember when we connected via email and, and Instagram, you were sharing that you had taught in the Baptiste studio system, which I had done as well. And somehow I feel like maybe our paths didn't literally cross. Like, I feel like I didn't actually teach there when you literally were there in, were you here in the Boston studio? I only visited, but I, I was okay. in, no, like my parents did actually live in that area, which is okay. why I, but I was in, I was in college and beyond at that point. So I, I, you know, did you ever work for the Institute? Cause I feel yeah. like, okay. That's, I think just cause I was an affiliate for so many years. I think I just to talk then. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. it was like many moons ago. Cause I, oh, I yeah. haven't been in it. I mean, you haven't been in Baptiste in a really long time, right? No, no. And, but there was a time back in 2003, four, five, yeah. I was working yeah. in the office and um, yep. just a funny story. I remember at that time, um, I mean, it was really before, um, you know, there was a lot online for yoga. And so I used to field a lot of questions from people who had uh, Baron's book journey into power. And they would literally email in with questions about how to do certain poses. Oh, how funny. <laughs> so those, those were some of the answers, uh, some of the emails that I was responding to. And it's just so interesting now to think about all these years later, how access to yoga is so different for people back then, you know, people had a book and when they had a question, they emailed it to the address in the book, the email address. It's just blows my mind. Wild. So why don't we start with, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started as a yoga teacher? And we can kind of go from there. I have a lot of just fun ideas of things we can talk about because now um, I don't want to say your life is so different. It's, it's just that I know from doing some research since we chatted, you're doing a lot of coaching and that gets you into a lot of conversations with women about just barriers and self-limiting beliefs. And I love yes. all that stuff. I love uncovering all that for myself and with people when I have coaching sessions. And I think it makes for just really powerful conversations here on the podcast. Yeah. People, you know, when you listen to a podcast, it's like right in your ear. I know. And, and I'm obsessed. I love podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly know for me, I've, um, I've learned some deep truths about myself from just listening to podcasts and hearing conversations between uh, people uh, or just even solo episodes. So let's just kind of, for the listeners out there, let's just kind of give them an introduction to you. And um, maybe tell us a little bit about how you started in the yoga teaching world. And, you know, we can kind of take it from there. I don't want it to be like an interview question. I just think it's nice to kind of give people a little bit about your background. Yeah, um, perfect. So I started yoga in the early 2000s. I always say like back when yoga was still kind of weird, you know, <laughs> And um, it was just starting to get to where some people would teach in gyms. But even then, I mean, I was like pre-Yoga Alliance 200 hour. And um, I was actually a fitness teacher on the side and um, spin classes. And I taught step and all that. I was in my early 20s, super high stress individual by nature. And um, I'd heard like yoga is very calming. So I was like, I'm going to try this. You know, the gym I teach at has a yoga class and I'll never forget. I went into class and here I was like, you know, 
this, I called myself a step diva. I mean, I could like run with the best of them, you know, early twenties, like you're, you got it going on. And I was a total disaster in this class. You know what I mean? Like, I just had no idea what was going on so much so that one of the classes, the teacher, and this is something I teach my teacher trainings to never do to anyone, like pulled aside one of her students who was her regulars. Cause at that time, like there weren't assistants or anything like thing, anything like that. We were kind of workshopping in class and she came over and she goes, can you tell me how to fix her chaturanga? It's just really weird. How? <laughs> and here, you know, this like massive ego chick that I was at the time was like horrified, but I also had this part of me that was like, and I still have this to this day. It's not necessarily healthy, but that was like, I will prove you wrong and I will figure this out. And so I kept going back, you know, um, but there was definitely some sort of challenge that I was driven to, you know, I loved, of course, like the physicality of more of a power class, but, um, this teacher was also very Iyengar based. So there was a lot of long holds and, um, I don't know. I, I was just sort of intrigued by it. So that's how I started practicing. And then my mom um, and dad at the time lived in the Boston area where you're from. Oh, wow. And one of, yeah, one of her teachers um, in Gold's Gym had worked at the Baptiste Studios in Boston. This again, when they first opened and my mom said, you'd really love her style. You should come take a class. So when I went home from you know, to visit with my parents, I went to her class and just that's where, really where I got kind of introduced to the more like true power flow style. Got it. Got it. So from there, so at that point in your life, were you working a regular job? And if so, what kind of industry were you in? I'm always curious to kind of find out. Yeah. I worked in marketing and advertising for about not quite three years. It was very short time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I studied communications in college and in communication was PR and marketing. And I always like, I, I had my dream job when I moved to Dallas, it was like the small advertising agency, which sounded super sexy and cool. And at the end of the day, I was totally miserable. And it was very, I mean, all of our clients were, um, it was either like high-end sexy restaurants or like fashion. And none of that was me. You know, I felt totally out of place and you know, people would talk about $200 Gucci belts. And I was like, I can't, I can't live in this environment, you know? <laughs> You know, and so I would go teach my classes or take yoga or whatever. And I was, I was always like, this is what I want to be doing. I want to be doing something more meaningful for me, you know? Got it. Yeah. Cause I mean, that certainly seems like a far cry from where you are now. So if you take us back to, you know, your introduction into yoga, how did you, how did you, I was going to say transform. How did you shift into teaching it? Yeah. So because I was already teaching group fitness, one of my, um, group fitness leads at one of the gyms said, I need a yoga teacher. And so she sent me to like yoga fit, which was, you know, like yes, a weekend training. Yes, <laughs> Did you do that? No, but I remember in yoga journal back many years ago, when I was getting the paper magazine, they had ads. Yep. I think they might it'd be interesting to see. I, I have a feeling they might still be a thing. And, you know, they got a lot of criticism at the time, but it was really kind of a smart thing because they were trying to take yoga to the masses in a way that made it more accessible. Um, I mean, you could, of course, have a conversation about, you know, appropriation and all of that. But I think, um, you know, for me, I already had the skill of being able to teach in front of a group. I understood the body. I was a personal trainer. So I had a lot of that base knowledge. And then 
obviously teaching yoga was, was a different kind of bird. So that, that just kind of, I got my feet wet with that and then started going to quote real trainings as I called them through the years. But she just kind of, this woman, Melissa was like, you can do it, go to this training. I need, I need you on the schedule kind of a thing. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so then you, know? you started teaching there in the gym. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when I, I actually was trying to get a new job because I was so miserable at the agency. And then of course the universe decided to kick me out. So I got laid off because my, cause the, the company that I was hired to work for, we lost that account. So they really didn't need me. So then I started doing full-time teaching. I taught at eight different locations around DFW and personal training. And it, it was exhausting. I was poor. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> and you kind of went full into the fire with the per, not per diem, but the, you as the only transactional experience, you having to teach it, whatever it was, whether it was yoga or fitness, yeah. you were the, you were the product. Absolutely. And personal yeah, training too. Yeah. Model and definitely very exhausting. Yes. It's, it's tough. I mean, I know people that do it and do it well, but, um, when people are considering doing that full time, I mean, I definitely kind of coach them around, like looking at sort of the big picture. I think you have to really be able to negotiate some decent rates, you know? Yes. Yes. So from there, because I know in your background, at one point you opened your own studio and just for the listeners, just to orient them, you, at this point, you're in the Dallas area where I think you still are now. Yeah. Okay. So how did you end up own owning a studio? Well, you know, it's funny. I go back in my brain and I'm like, how did that happen? I remember, you know, I was, I, I did love the work of marketing and advertising. And I learned so much at the agency. I learned, I got to work with some really, really cool designers that just knew their stuff. So I had still had some connections in there. I knew how to do things. Like I remember when I opened my studio, I called like, um, for a sign out front and I knew exactly what to order. And they thought I was a competitor trying to get a price. Cause they thought like what yoga studio owner is going to know, like how to order this. Sign. <laughs> and I was like, no, I swear I'm not a competitor. Um, so I had a lot of the business side skills that I really enjoyed. I loved the branding. I loved, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I loved teaching yoga. It was my favorite. And so I thought, what if I, what if I just created my own space? And there was, at the time, there were a few small um, kind of community-based studios in Dallas that, you know, Bikram was really big at that time. So there was, that was kind of the hot thing. Then there were some gyms. Literally, you know, right? Oh, literally. literally. <laughs> I definitely like, did my time in the, in the hot space. And so there was a couple studios and um, just, I never felt like home, like any of them were home and super friendly there. Um, and so I just remember saying like, I want to create the sounds so cheesy, but I want to create like the cheers of yoga studios in Dallas because Dallas is like, it's a tough town. Like it, once you find your people and your niche and everything, then it can be a great place, but it's, um, very, a lot of people moving in and out. Um, the South and the culture here is very different. Like I was from the North. So I totally understood that, you know? And so I opened up a space in an did area you where buy one that was existing or did you get from the ground up? No, I just leased a space. Um, I found a really good deal. And I remember people saying that was a terrible space to be in because it was on the second floor and it was kind of in this transient area, transitional area of town. And I, I just saw the vision. I was like, no, this is it. And I mean, we were open for 16 years and wow. the only reason I closed was because, well, one, I was kind of ready. 16 years is a long time. Um, and then COVID hit, we were a small space. And so 
I just couldn't see financially how I could make it work because I was very COVID conscious and still am. And so, um, you know, it just didn't make sense. But what's interesting is two years later, one of the longest running studios, um, in Dallas, they wanted to, um, just simplify their business. And so they're open, they're opening, I guess, in the next couple of weeks in my old space. So it's kind of neat. It's, oh, it's living on, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I just want to take a little detour for a moment. Um, because I had a conversation recently with a financial wellness coach and yeah. she is beginning a program uh, for yoga studio owners to coach them through business challenges and to give them her specific financial expertise. And one of the things we were talking about, she was just kind of bouncing ideas off of me because I don't own a studio. I've never owned a studio, but because I've been in the industry for a while, I said I could kind of bounce ideas off of her or with her, brainstorm with her. And she was sharing that um, some of the yoga studios that she talks to, the studio owners, they're really hesitant to give up their space in this current environment. And yet, even though the financials might actually point to that being kind of the best solution, given that the studio is just not bringing in enough in revenue, yeah. um, it's a obviously it's a difficult decision for studio owners. And so when you mentioned a few seconds ago that it was time in a way because you had owned the studio for a while, it sounded to me like COVID um, and the impact of COVID on your studio really kind of led you in that direction. Can you share for someone who's listening, who may be a studio owner, who may be really struggling to make rent, maybe really struggling to pay the bills because COVID has really impacted, obviously, their cash, their income mm -hmm. cash, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit about the business decision around that that you made? Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, because I came from a business background, um, as far as the marketing and, and what I studied in college, I, I didn't come into it as a yogi first. I came into it as a business owner first. And I think, um, that was always really present for me. I was always doing my KPIs. Like I know so many studio owners that don't know anything about their financials. They just, it's, you know, and it's, it's really a shame because, you know, you, you can go so long and get so burned out and then have no money. And then, and then, you know, some other things that can happen are your relationships, whether it's family or friends and, you know, a lot of things suffer when things aren't working. So for me, and of course it's all personal, there's no right or wrong, but for me, the, the finances always had to make sense because it wasn't a nonprofit. And, you know, when I started the business, I was 26 and it had to support me. I had to pay my bills. And then, you know, for 16 years from 26 to, you know, in single to then getting married to then having two children and all of the different life things that happen in between. And some years were better than others, but at the end of the day, I always still had to pay my bills. And my husband also works in an industry that is more of a passion, right? So we're not like these you know, multiple six figure earners, like a lot of our friends where we have a lot of extra flexibility. So that was always just like something that had to be there was it had to be a livable wage, you know, that was non-negotiable for me. And when it became not that I would hire a business, I always had a business coach or a mentor. Um, then I would start to make plans. And so pre COVID um, about a year or so I was starting to make plans to exit 
you know, within the next year. And so for me, it was sort of um, just a little bit of a, it sped up my plan. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the way I wanted to close. We were so tight knit and community based. And it was just so heart wrenching to just, we closed during shutdown and then never opened back up. So that was just like, where's the party? Where's the goodbyes? And, you know, and so that was really, really hard. But I remember telling my teachers when we had our like last meeting, when we were shutting down, I said, I have to be really honest with you all. I'm 99.9% sure we will not reopen, you know, and they were like, what? And I was like, here's the deal, you know? Um, and I had already let go of my full-time manager to try to make things work. And so like, you know, it just was, the writing was on the wall. And so, I don't know, I think you just kind of have to look at, this is, I'm going to go into all my coaching stuff now, but really get clear on what you want for your life and why you're doing what you're doing. And I think sometimes as business owners, studio owners, we think more about who we're serving than ourselves. And then at the end of the day, we don't have a lot left. And I think that is something you really want to be mindful of. And it's hard because you're going to disappoint a lot of people, of course, Mm -hmm. but you know, yeah, I think that's, I think I'm, I'm glad this came up. I didn't plan for it. And, um, (laughs) Yet I'm glad that that you brought that up because I have a feeling there are, are are quite a few listeners who are maybe at the precipice of making a decision. And at this stage of the game in the pandemic, they've probably gone through five or six iterations trying to make things work. Yeah. So I think um, the bottom line is, you know, it's okay if if it doesn't work and there's another path for you. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you you going into that. So, all right. So you have the studio and, you know, that it sounds like certainly was successful in its own right in, in the many years that you had the studio and, and the studio closes. How does, how does, how do things change for you at that point? You know, uh, especially where it's a, it's a nice springboard to that, to this part of the conversation, because you know, maybe we start from the point where you did make that decision about the studio. And even though you knew it was the right decision, were you sure what you wanted to do next? Did you, did you know at that point what your next, you know, iteration was going to be? Well, yes and no. I mean, I definitely had a direction, but I wasn't totally sure. So I became a life coach in 2010 and, you know, like so much, you know, so much of the work we do in yoga, the really, really transformative work is the yoga off the mat, right? Like it's like the postures are a process for some of that deeper work. And so for me, I was always drawn to that deeper work. And so I started creating programs in the studio, um, that were my life coaching programs. The first one I created was called spark in 2010. And there's still people today that like, I wrote someone the other day and they were like, I'll never forget spark, you know? And it's just, so as I kind of went along my path in yoga and I was just always delving into like, how can I become a better person? How can I grow? Why is this happening? You know, I was just super curious about living a better life and helping others do that. And so for each time, every couple of years, I'd create another program that I would do. And I had this really beautiful audience of people that were open and willing to do that kind of work. And so it was just this natural synergy. 
So then in about, I don't know, maybe 2016-ish or so, I started to delve into the online space and I tried to do actually my Spark program online. And I, you know, I, I really worked hard. I started a podcast. I did all the like things you're supposed to do. And then I just kept getting pulled back to my studio, having to work. You know, it's like I would be really into trying to build that side of the business. And then like my full-time manager would quit and I'd have to dive back in or then I had a baby, you know? And so I, but it was like always out there, but this is what I really, really, really want to do. And so I thought that I could build that coaching business online. And then in 2019, so before COVID, I was working with someone to help build my online business. And he said, you should put your teacher training online. And I said, he's not a yogi. And I said, you're nuts. Yogi, Yogis will never take an online teacher training, right? <laughs> like, like, did he have a crystal ball? Because seriously. And so he said, look, if you're going to, if you're, because he knew my plans, right? He said, you're going to close your studio down. Do go in now, record everything. You've done this for 15, 20 years. You can do it in your sleep. I promise you, we can make this work online. So I did that. Well, I spent- he wanted the online um, set up because it was a more scalable model. Is that was that? Yeah, he so he is a tech guy, right? His whole like everything he does is is um, online businesses. So he was kind of mentoring me into how to create an online business. And here I'm going coaching, and he's going no yoga. And this again was a year before COVID. It was like March of 2019. So I listened to him, and I created my entire 200 hour online. I mean, you know. So I, and I ran one with a very small group because people still weren't, I mean, there were definitely people doing the online thing, but it wasn't open. And certainly yoga Alliance was not approving of it. You know, all the things people weren't open to, you know, zoom classes. And then let me tell you, we shut the doors and I started getting inquiries about my teacher training overnight because people were like, Oh, I heard you had an online teacher training. So I ran too. I had 30 people and, um, so what, what ended up happening was I had a focus of coaching COVID hit and I was really prepared to just transition all of the yoga online. And because I already had the teacher training, I had the Kajabi platform, which is like an online course platform. And so I just, my teachers and I just started recording classes and we created a membership. So now we have like our yoga sport membership, which was my studio online. And we have the teacher training. Um, So, yeah. So, and that really wasn't by design. That was because that's just what happened. Do you know what I'm saying? Got it. So at this point, um, the studio in the brick and mortar version is gone. However, the studio in name and business lives on via the online portal where you have live classes and teacher training. Yeah. So Pretty much. I mean, I actually closed the official LLC of Yoga Sport, but I, I use the name for um, for the membership. So everything's under my Angela Wagner brand um, because I did I did relaunch the coaching. Um, but yes, so we have the Yoga Sport membership, which is called Yoga Sport On Demand, and so there's about 350 on demand classes that we've recorded throughout, and we do we do about eight to twelve lives a month, and we record and upload those as well. So. Um, most of my teachers are still teaching. They teach one or two classes a month just because like everyone needed something, you know what I mean? Um, and it is, uh, Texas shut down for six weeks and then 
just acted like there was no COVID ever. Like we never had to mask in anywhere and everything. And so for most of us teaching, we just never really felt comfortable going back in, you know, maybe now I just got invited to do an assisting workshop in a couple of months and I'm like, okay, we'll see, (laughs) you know, we'll see if I feel comfortable this Omicron thing, like gives up, but, um, so yeah, so it was, um, yeah, we kind of transitioned it a lot of the, and what's neat about it is that because I had all these years of people, people from all over the country, um, heard about it. And we often have like four time zones in our classes, you know? Right. That's great. So, okay. So let's kind of make a little shift, um, to the coaching part of what you do. Cause this really fascinates me, not only on a personal level, but also just working with people in this way, which is, um, I don't work with people in a coaching capacity as a life coach. However, in my coaching of yoga teachers, specifically around anatomy and mastering anatomy, interestingly enough, many self-limiting beliefs come up. So I go into through a side door and I I don't want to say I go into it. It's just that I'm not, um, hesitant to explore a little bit with that person. If, if they're, if they're hitting a wall, whether it's a learning wall or a self-limiting belief around anything about themselves. And it comes up though, in the context of yoga, however, uh, anatomy, learning anatomy. However, I know for yourself, you mentioned you were a life coach many years, and I think a good place to start. And I never actually asked someone this question, but it was something I picked up in the wording you used before. So when people consider going to a life coach, or even these days where you hear people talking about a lot of um, work that they've done with life coaches, even the use of the word work. So I guess my question is, when we say, um, oh, we're doing a lot of inner work, or I'm working with a life coach to work on myself, can you describe what that work is. Cause it's certainly not like going to a job. <laughs> I know from my yeah. experience and my perceptions of the work I've done, I could talk about it. I want you to talk about it either just maybe from your experience in, in interacting with your clients, like what does that work encompass? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know that I've ever been asked it in that way, but it's so it's such a great one. So we can look a lot of different ways. And I think it really depends on what the person is quote working on. If we're going to keep, you know, using that, that word, um, at the core it's for me, a lot of it is habit shifting and mindset shifts. So those are sort of like the two major things that really happen, whether or not you're fully aware that that's what's happening. Right. So, um, when you talk about limiting beliefs, right? So if someone's never done this work, they're probably like, what does that mean? You know, um, like when you feel insecure, right? Um, When you're feeling not totally depressed, like, you know, really depressed, but down. And there's like, there's this great word called languishing that I'd never heard of for the pandemic. And then it became a huge theme for my last program that I created. And the program was called Unstuck. And the whole idea around it is that if you look up the word languishing, it's essentially like having this apathy and sort of like not feeling really happy and 
can't quite find your purpose, but you're not like laying in bed all day and depressed, right? And you're not, you're still functioning, but, but like something's missing. And so some of the work is around figuring out what does that look like, right? Like I call it, a lot of us are living on default, right? So we are, we are kind of going through the motions of life. And so it's like, how do I get out of that rut? How do I stop scrolling on my phone? How do I, um, you know, stop eating so much sugar. Like we know a lot of the things we need to do, but the, the quote work is less about, okay, try X, Y, Z habit, which yes, we're going to do those things. Cause of course we, we want to get to bed earlier and stop using our phones, but like, what is causing us to do those things in the first place? And it's not therapy. A lot of people in my programs will be like, this is therapy. I'm like, no, 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 no. I am not a licensed therapist. We do not go into trauma work, you know, but just noticing and uncovering, I think it really gets down to being incomplete self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just in hearing you talk about the word languishing, it reminded me of, I saw something on TikTok just today, matter of fact. And the only reason I'm on TikTok scrolling through is because I'm posting on TikTok as of January 1st, I decided to add a TikTok account to my social media platforms and inevitably, when I go to post, the first thing TikTok hits you with is the live feed or the feed. And yeah. so you get sucked into like two or th- for me, it's like two or three minutes. And then I get the ick and I'm like, oh, I can't even. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Yeah, <laughs> very, very. I find it very assaultive in a not helpful way. Although I have found some of the same people I follow on Instagram are over there. And now TikTok algorithm is starting to feed me those people. So that makes me feel a little bit better. But this yeah. one that randomly came up, this woman uh, on your languishing point was saying something like, it's been two years. And I can remember when I had a morning routine that involved yoga and drinking water and walking the dog and, you know, writing in my journal. And now I just get up and like put on sweatpants and this has been going on like this, you know, on, yep. I'm looking online. And, um, and I think she might've even said something in the video about, it's not like I'm in bed depressed. I just really have fallen out of that routine. Yeah. So, I mean, can you share a little bit about, um, the kinds of crossroads that people are at who enroll in your programs and what's motivating them to do that? Yeah. So it's been interesting because, um, I hadn't done a coaching program in two years since COVID. And then I just sat there this summer. I was, I was actually in a pretty dark place where I was like, something's got to change, you know, mentally, physically. And so from that, and just, you know, talking to my clients is where I created this kind of stepping stone program unstuck, which was really just a trial to what I, what I'm doing now. And it was more of like, just really digging in and finding out like, where are people and what are they, what are they stuck with? And, um, the it's, truly the pandemic put us in survival mode in a way that so many of us can't get out of it. And it's not necessarily that the threat is, feels the same as it did before, right? So a lot of people are traveling and in kind of living the normal life, but our nervous systems haven't calmed down. Um, like for me, like my life never went back ever. Right. Um, I was at home with my kids for a year. Um, there's just a lot of things. And so we're sort of like two years in going, well, when is this going to be over so I can go back? And the reality is we're not going back. Like it, some people haven't accepted that. (laughs) I think a lot of us have, but we're like, now, what does that look like? And so I think it's really 
the, the one of the things I try to try to work with people on, because this is what, when I got to this place is when I made a shift was like, there is a gift in this absolute mess. And that gift is that we had to stop. The world stopped. All of us had to realign, right? So that's the thing is like, the, the destruction occurred <laughs> on all levels, right? With everything. And now we're in rebuilding mode. And there's actually an amazing opportunity in that. And again, it is work. So of course it's messy and it can feel uncomfortable, but so many of my clients are going, wait a minute, I don't want to live the way I was living. I don't want to work 70 hours a week. I don't want to be distracted on my phone. And like two years later, my kids are two years older and I'm not really any more connected to them. You know what I'm saying? And so I think a lot of people are like, I want to make changes, but it's not like, yes, it's going to bed early and drinking more water and doing more yoga, but that in and of itself, checking those boxes, isn't going to do it. Yeah. Cause those things, like you said, there's the habits, but then there's what's underneath the habits. Yes. And, and, you know, I find for me, when I work with people and you probably have an ear for this as well, you know, what I've learned from my studies of neuro-linguistic programming is the linguistic part is always such an interesting doorway to how people feel and how they're reacting to the environment and how they translate that to feelings about themselves. And so when people are saying things, if their word choice is interesting to me, I'll ask them to clarify that. Like if someone is saying, I really need to understand anatomy. And I'm like, well, why do you need to do that? Like, where's that need coming from? Or I, or, um, I, I've always been really challenged around, or I've, I've never been able to learn anatomy or what, you know, and so what we're talking mm -hmm. about is anatomy. And so I'll explore a little bit, you know, well, how do you identify that way? Why do you identify that way? And then sometimes things will come out about, well, when I was in school, I really didn't learn well in anything that was science related. And people just develop this identity that is very immovable and very implanted in their, in their body. So do you find that when you work with people, there's a pathway from the habits to really getting beneath them, beneath those habits to starting to kind of shake the bedrock of who they feel they are? I mean, is that part of the work that you do? Yeah, that is the work, right? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, the, what I like to tell people is that work doesn't have to feel awful because a lot of people think of that work as being, you know, in my early days of yoga, and I, I, I'm sure yours as well, and some of the trainings we did, that that work was not presented in a way that was positive. It was more sort of trauma-based. <laughs> and I think um, over the years, what I have really embraced and tried to do with people is make it, I don't want to say as comfortable as possible, because of course it's like messy and you're digging and stuff, but it's, uh, let me think of how I can say this. It is hopeful mm -hmm. and you're like working towards something better, right? So like it's, it's all based in what do you want to create and what do you want to feel in your life? Which to me right. is like, yes, you know, like, so right. yes, like looking at the fact that I'm, you know, addicted to my phone is uncomfortable or, and we, you know, we go underneath the why and, you know, where does some of that come from, but always 
like going back to what is the goal here? Like, where am I going with this? And and what are the possibilities? Because I think so many people, and, and it's not anyone's fault. It's really the way I think our culture is created is like, we are, we are trained to do certain things. Like I mainly work with a lot of, um, I call them high achieving super women. So they're like either entrepreneurs or women in corporate who have checked all the boxes of everything that we have been told that we should do in life to be happy. Right. So it's like, you know, like have the the 2.4 kids or whatever in the house and then, you know, making the good money and having the good job and, um, you know, volunteering at school, like all the things. And then now they're in their mid forties going, wait a minute. Okay. I checked all the boxes, but what about me? Like, I'm not even taking care of myself right now, you know? And, and so like I talked to a few of my clients recently and they were like, I need to know, I need to figure out what I want and like what my dreams are because I kind of lost touch with what that is, you know? Yeah. And I, um, I do run across that as well when I talk with teachers. And I think when I hear those kinds of things, both in what you're saying and in some of the conversations I've had with teachers, one of the things that really in the back of my mind stands out and let me know what you think about this is this idea that I don't think people always realize it. And I don't want this to sound ominous, but (laughs) we don't have as much time as we think, right? And so when we are at that point in our life and we have that feeling, um, being at that point is the culmination of all that came before where you probably had opportunities to put yourself first, to put yourself first, to do that thing, to pursue that dream. And all of those opportunities you passed up on. Now, when you look back on it, you might say, well, I had the kids or I got sick or whatever the reasons were. And it's not to say that those reasons are not valid. I think it's, is there a way, and and tell me if this is something you help people with or how you approach this with them. Is there a way that they can have those balls in the air? And also, I don't know if it's putting themselves first and or achieving their dreams as well. Yes. Oh, I love this conversation. Um, Yes, yes. And yes. (laughs) Um, Yes to all. So I, I I think one of the points you made is like the decisions we made in the past, any, any decision you made in the past is like led you to where you are. And so I think it's really important for, I always say to people, like, it's not worth your time or energy to regret anything. Right. So we, right. It's done. It's done. And so, and so let's just look at what we learned. Right. It's, it's like, it's like, COVID, COVID, like if we could go back and change, like we probably wouldn't be like, yeah, let's, let's do that pandemic thing, but it happened. And so we'll, wow, there's a lot we can take away. Right. And so I think that's really what like sort of the initial stage is just acceptance, right? This, these things happened and now let's look at them. Let's open it up a little bit and go, okay, now, now what do I want? And, um, as you said, like once you're in your kind of mid forties, even if you're younger than that, what it's like the pandemic hit and it just made us all go wait a second. Right. Because even before when I would work with people in programs, it was always like, I'm rushed. I'm on this hamster wheel. I can't stop. Da, 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 da. But there was nothing forcing anybody to stop unless they had a health issue or they got laid off from a job. It wasn't until COVID hit that they had to go. Okay. Right. But I think there's absolutely a way to do 
the things we want to do to have, if it's, you want to have a family or you have a family and you want to be connected. Um, because, you know, I've, I've gone through this personally too, with the shift. Cause my husband even said to me at one point, he said, okay, now we have this opportunity. If money was not an issue, would you want to stay home and not work? And I sat with that for like a long time. And the answer was like, no, I want to work. I love what I do. And so I think, you know, spending time figuring out, but, but having said that, I also decided, and I don't want to make this about me, but just an example is I don't want to go back to the life I had before, which was work and other people were almost all of, of my everything, everything was being put out and I wasn't putting anything in. And so that's really what I help people focus on is getting to the core of their self-care in a way that, you know, I, that word, everyone has such a different, you know, view of what self-care is. I'm, I mean, yes, I do think you should go get pedicures and take baths, but we're talking about like, you know, truly making sure that you have what you need in your mind, body, and soul, right? Because you really can't, you can't be your best version for other people anyway. And so one of the things I, it's huge right now with a lot of the things I'm doing and in my next program is um, helping people set boundaries and learning to say no, um, le- but not even just saying no, really look again, always going back to like, what do I want to create for my life? Who do I want to be? And so when someone asks you something like very often, we just say, we look at our schedule and then we decide, we don't go into those deeper questions, right. Of like, does this help right. feed what I want to create in my life? Because those little, little decisions day after day, after day, after day, whether they're like, yes, I'm going to say yes to this person, whether they're, I'm going to do, um, stay on my phone two extra hours, you know, all the different things we can do, they add up. And the next thing, you know, you are a certain person with a certain life and it's because of all those decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as you're talking, you know, to me, it, it makes perfect sense and it's somewhat easier for me to kind of adopt a lot of those behaviors because Ben and I live here, we don't have kids, you know, we don't have the pandemic experience of kids that now are being homeschooled and having the variety of changes to their schedule. We don't live with elderly parents. I mean, his father is elderly and lives about a half an hour away, but is still living in his own home and hopefully will for the, for, for the rest of his time here. Um, I guess part of the, what I'm, what I'm aware of are people out there who even prior to the pandemic were stretched really thin as yeah. parents, as parents taking care of senior parents, um, as significant others, you know, part of a significant other relationship. And because of the pandemic, while yes, people are having, a lot of people are having a lot of reevaluation time about the life they want. By the same token, there are people who don't have any time to do that because their role as a parent has them now taking on all this additional stuff related yeah. to the fact that their kids are homeschooled or alternating between going to school and, and being at home. So in your work with clients, do you have people who are impacted in that way? And how do you help them navigate what you're talking about? Things like self-care, you know, setting yourself first, um, 
you know, being intentional about what you say yes to and what you say no to Mm -hmm. in the face of, of what their reality looks like these days. I mean, I'm not asking you to solve the problem of parents and homeschooling and all of that. I'm just curious. I mean, especially since so many of your clients are women. Yeah. Does this come up as a theme for them? Oh, for sure. And I mean, that, that is me as well, right? That's my life of what you just described. So, um, one thing I will say, and this is sort of like, I always say, like, there's a, one thing I do is I push with love. We, you have to get to the point where you actually are open to the possibility that there can be change because I know I was dug into that too. And I was very much in a place of like, I can't do these things because, and, and in the beginning and the first year, actually, that might've been true. I probably could have done more than I did. Um, but now it's like, what is the other option? The other option is to keep going at this rate and your health will fail. It just will. Right. So it will show up in disease. It will show up in anxiety. It'll show up in ways that, um, eventually you will stop and you will have to decide that it's going to change. So what I try to really work with people on is it's really freaking hard right now. And I'm not like coming from a place of, I don't get it. Like, are you kidding? I- <laughs> I had to live in my bedroom for a year because my kids were like, literally I worked, worked out in there. I, I mean, I did everything in the bedroom because, because of the situation and we're on a one floor, one story home and I could not escape my children and they were very small at the time. Um, and so I get it, but it, the other thing of, I'm trying to figure out like the best way to say this. The other thing is that a lot of times what we do is we'll compare it to the past. So we'll say, I can't create what I did before, what I wanted to create before. And it's just something new. So the self-care and the habits and the change are not going to look like they did before necessarily. And so I think that's one of the things I help people navigate is like doing just a little is going to move the needle a lot. And let's figure out, and this is what I'm really good at is helping people figure out individually what's going to move the needle for them right? Because, um, it's not the same for everybody. Right. And that's one of the things we do. And one of the first things we do is figure out what's called their keystone habit. And do you know what a keystone habit is? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's essentially, I don't know if this is the perfect definition, but the way I, the way that I teach it is the way I understand it is that it's like one habit that if you change the one habit, it would have this huge ripple effect, positive ripple effect in your life. So, um, say, say doing yoga, you know, regularly, because like when you go and you you do your regular yoga practice, all of a sudden you're not wanting to go to the drive-through, right? Because we've all been through the drive-through and then done yoga and it feels terrible. (laughs) Right. And so all of a sudden you're right. And then, and then all of a sudden you're sleeping better because your body's being worked out. And so that's a great example of something that for some people, if they just do that one thing on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. will, will make huge changes in their lives. Got it. Got Versus it. saying, here's the 10 things you need to do right now. Yeah, in, in freezing. And just the, the general sense I'm picking up on when I hear you talking about your conversations with your clients, for me, it just highlights how important it is to have a mentor, to have a coach, 
because I think one of the challenges, and you may pick up on this when your clients first come to you before you start working to them, and in those first conversations where they're laying out kind of a perspective of where they are at that moment, do you find that people, because I, I definitely find this, do you find that people can only see things in one way, and it takes that external objective person to help them see there's never just one way. <laughs> there's always lots of different ways, even when you're faced with something that seems awful and there's no way around it. So when you use that either or, that binary way of thinking is oftentimes, do you find that's oftentimes where people are stuck? Well, I can either quit my job and not have any money to support my family or stay in this job that I hate and have this um, living scenario with the kids at home that's just untenable, where there might be four or five other options if they had someone to, so take it from there, tell us some, what that brings up, you know, just in terms of your experience in working with people. Cause I think this way of thinking, this either or way of thinking and not enlisting the help of an external objective person, it's hard to get yourself unstuck to use your verbiage from your program. Absolutely. And it's, you know, first I want to say, like, I love that point. And I've been a teacher and a coach my whole life. And I've always had a mentor, a business mentor. I have a therapist, like I have a team, <laughs> you know, because I'm human and, and we all are. And so I think, I think everyone needs a team of people who are there to truly help support them in a way that feels good for them. So yes to that. Um, yeah. So what you're talking about, it's, it's a cognitive distortion and some people um, call it all or nothing thinking. And so it's actually one of the huge things that, that I work on with people is noticing when that's happening. You know, a lot of times it happens when people are trying to work on a habit change. So say like, I always go back to yoga because I love it, but like, I'm going to start going back on my mat. And so they're like, I'm going to practice five days a week, you know, 60 minutes in a heated studio down the street, you know, and it's like, and we all know what, how that turns out, right? 99% of the time, you know, one or, or two weeks in they, they fail at that goal. And then they're like, okay, I can't do it. Instead of just being like, Hey, why don't we start with one day a week? You know? And, but people will be like, well, that's dumb. That's nothing. And I'm like, it's not nothing. Let's do one. And as soon as you feel successful, we'll add another, you know, and that slow build is what actually creates the sustainable habit and sustainability is the key to success. Like th that's why I don't love. Um, I think there's a purpose to things like, um, you know, just say detoxes or challenges of some kind. I mean, we're actually running one now for yoga and it's, but actually that challenge, we built it around sustainability. So it's not like do 30 yoga classes in 30 days. Like we used to do. It's like, what is something that you want to create as a habit? And then that's your challenge for the, for the month. But, but I do think the, or like say running a marathon. Great. But a lot of times what happens is people train for nine months, they kick their butts, they do all the things they're supposed to do. And then they do nothing after not to say that, that running a marathon is not a great goal, but if, if you were doing it in order to get in shape, generally that doesn't actually work long-term, right? Because it has the start and end date. Um, and so 
again, that's the sort of all or nothing, right? I'm either in the training or I'm, or I'm just sitting on the couch because I just did the training and I want to break. Right. So yes, I love that. And I think it's so important. And I do think that the perspective shift and that's the mindset work. And obviously, you know, this as a yogi and a lot of people think of the mindset stuff as just seated meditation. And I know that's really scary for people. And I know a lot of people feel very unsuccessful. There's a lot, like I just did a breath coach training. It is magical because it's so, um, active and there's something really specific. And the whole thing is you got, I guide them through everything. So they never feel alone. Um, there's visualization work. That's really powerful. There's concentration work. There's, there's memory work, some really cool memory exercises. So if you feel like you're not focused, it doesn't always have to just be sit and be quiet and meditate. Right. So there's a lot of ways to train your brain to change some of these neural pathways that we have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I have a, I'm making notes as you're talking, cause I definitely have a question I want to ask you, um, before I ask you that question on something that came up a few minutes ago, uh, I just wanted to pick up on and, and reemphasize where you're talking about, you know, kind of the all or nothing approach to changing the habit seems to be the mode that people are in. Do you find that when people try to just not so much slowly, but in smaller bites, do things, the momentum is what creates the shift. Yes. And that was exactly the point of that, that one little program I did. I say one, cause we're, it was just one time we were just getting unstuck and now we're doing bigger things. But that was the whole point was to just get people like, you know, you've got the gum sticking to the wall, just get yeah. unstuck and then just yeah. get that forward moving motion back. And then right. it, these little things that people did now, it's like months later, they're, they're making massive changes. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you this question, but it just triggered something else for me. You know, I think sometimes for folks, uh, they, they want to make the change and, you know, as a coach that they just need to get a couple small wins under their belt yep. and they'll start to get that forward moving momentum that creates the shift. Yep. What if, you know, you, you come across people who are just unable to take that first step, you know, whether they say, oh, I, I'm, I just don't have time. I don't have the money. I don't, it's not a good time. I have too much on my plate to begin to, I don't want to say even do the work to begin to take that first step towards their own dreams. Like yeah. what, what is, um, what do you find is the, I don't want to say the magical solution, you know, is there a way to encourage that person to, you know, what's a, a way to encourage that person to take the first step so that they feel like, even though all these other things are happening, yeah. I can still invest in myself. Yeah. I, I mean, I I've been there. I think it's, there has to be some internal motivation, right? Even if it's just a glimmer, like the best coaches, teachers, mentors, therapists can't do it for you. Right. And that's the whole thing is that, um, you know, you're hiring people to be a guide, but or even family members, right? Like you can't make someone do something. And so 
as much as this is not the best answer, and I'd love to give you a shiny, prettier one. Um, the reality is that they have to make that decision. And what I would offer is if they're in that place, it's probably a self-worth issue at, at that time. And I know a lot of people don't want to say like, I don't have good self-worth. Um, but it could just be something like, if you don't think you are worth, um, taking the time and effort to do a little thing to feel better, that is a self-worth issue. And I don't mean that in a bad way. We have all been there on all different levels. I've been in very low levels of self-worth before. And so I would say find people or things that inspire you, not trigger you. So some people will do like, they will follow people on Instagram or watch certain things and it ends up triggering them in a way that's negative. So it's like, it may not be the thing someone else is doing that is motivational, inspiring, right? Like, so you have to kind of know yourself and go, what does inspire me? Who does like make me want to go do something and, Mm -hmm. and just start to just start to presence your life with more of that. Even if you're not, you're just watching it, right? Like, so it's still pretty passive. Um, but again, there's, there's these neural pathways in our brain. So if you think of it as like, I just think of it as like this tiny little shovel, right? (laughs) I love visuals. And so it, whatever the way we think and the way we act, the more that we do it, the shovel just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and creates this neural pathway. So over the past, however many years you've been thinking a certain way, a certainly like for many of us lifetime, it's going to take a lot of work to dig out and create that new neural pathway. But even just being exposed to someone or something that makes you feel different is going to start that path. Right. So that's what I would say. But I do think at the end of the day that no one can do it for you. Right. It's got to come from the person. Um, so let me ask you this, and this is um, probably a good place to kind of like put a put a wrap put a bow on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying really hard in my podcast now to not use overused terms, things that I hear when I listen. You know, kind of like those things where like how many little blur phrase can phrases can you put in your podcast that just um. So my question, and this, but this ties in nicely with what you're talking about, because I think where you mentioned earlier about self-care, and I think you even said something like, sometimes people define that differently. And sometimes people define it in a way that's kind of surfacy. And now we ended up on this little journey we're taking where you mentioned self-worth. And it's kind of interesting because self-care and self-worth, I think are sort of inextricably linked in that when you, when, at least in my mind, if I, if I worth myself, if I think I'm worth it, I will invest in my self-care. So what I would love to kind of end with is having you um, define for the listeners, like what are some of the components of self-care that you believe are integral to living a healthy life, living a happy life, feeling like you're on a path that is allowing you to get the things done that you want to get done, that make you feel valued, that make you feel rewarded. Like what are those self-care things. 
Oh, that is like the million dollar question. I mean, there's so many, right? So I think it depends on what each person, but for me, the sort of non-negotiables are movement, right? So some sort of movement in your body that's healthy for you. I obviously love yoga, but some people love running. Some people don't really like, people think of working out. And even like when I talk about yoga, I try to um, remove it from a workout sort of conversation in the past I used to, especially when I was younger, but, um, but now I really like to approach it and have people approach it from a place of just feeling good in your body, you know, (laughs) because if you, if you feel good in your body, you want to go do things, right? Like you're happier, you're kinder, you, you know, you have energy, like all those things. So I think healthy movement is absolutely essential, but take the, if workout, the word workout triggers, you take that out of it. What makes you feel good? Put on a good playlist, you know, post on Facebook. I did this once. I asked everyone, I said, what are your favorite dance songs? And then I just made a Spotify playlist, you know, and just dance around your house. Um, This one sounds really funny, but one of the things that one of the first things we do in in my programs is we declutter and it is definitely not what people think of as self-care, but when people have chaos in their homes, in their cars, at their desk, it's generally a, f- a reflection of what's going on in their brains. And so this is also what love when you said easy wins, because that's exactly what I tell people is we're going to decluttering is the most awesome, easy win. And until you get to the really sentimental items or your closet, you can do like your desk and not, and not have it be like pulling on your heartstrings, right? Like <laughs> you can get some easy wins without going real deep into the emotion. Once you get to the closet and you get to sentimental items, that's a different story, but that's a really kind of fun, easy one. Um, Nourishment, right? Like just adding some fruits and vegetables. I know that sounds so cliche, but it's like buy one less thing in a bag and one more thing that's closer to the actual I was explaining this to my seven-year-old the other day, you know, about, cause he's always constipated, poor kid. And we, we've had a really, really, really hard three weeks in our family. Some like just life shattering things have happened. And so we just gone to, there's just been a lot of bag food and a lot of fast food and a lot of things we don't normally do. And so our, you know, his little system is, is reacting to it. And so I was explaining to him just like this basic of just when it comes from the ground, we want it to look and feel as close to that as possible. Um, there was one other, um, so you have movement, um, declutter and nutrition slash nourishment. Yeah. Declutter. Um, and, um, sleep, sleep, sleep is probably sleep might, might be number one. Um, and, and that can go into a lot of things. I teach a lot of things around sleep, but, you know, a very simple one is to just go to bed 30 minutes earlier than you normally do, you know, start there. Yeah. I'll even share. I picked this up from the rich roll podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts. And he's had Matthew Walker on, who's one of the preeminent scientists on the benefits of sleep and the study of sleep. He's had Dr. Huberman on from Stanford, who's a neurobiologist and um, just all of what you're talking about is um, science backed in terms of the impact, you know, when you talk about movement, when you talk about sleep and nutrition, I mean, there's so much out there that can, we can track back to the benefit of that 
to us on a biological level, let alone a psychological level. And yet they're inextricably linked because of neurotransmitters and the neuroscience yeah. that you referred to throughout our conversation. Um, one of the things I picked up from Rich's podcast, one of his, I, I don't think it was Matthew Walker. I can't remember the guest it was. He said he started to um, create a habit where when he wakes up in the morning and sets and turns off his iPhone alarm, he sets an alarm for when he wants to go to bed. And oh, that's good. that way throughout the day, he goes on with his day, but at whatever time, 10 o'clock, 1030, his iPhone alarm goes off. And that's if he's engrossed in scrolling or working or watching endless TV, <laughs> he, he's reminded, you know what? I wanted to go to bed. And it's hard because especially with social media, if you bring your phone into the bedroom, it's easy to just sit in your bed and all of a sudden it's 1130, you know? Oh yeah. That, yeah. The sleep, the sleep thing is real. I mean, I do like a, a lot of work around that. And I think a lot of it, that's where like, yes, there's the habit change that will change your life, like doing those things, but getting yourself to do those things is the right. real work. Right. And so like looking at sort of why we're doing those things is, is the way that we can make that permanent change. Right. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, it's not always the most fun, but, but I always think of like, okay, well, there's a reason that you want to do this work, right? There's a reason that you want to, like, you want to feel differently than you do now. And so I think just, I always go back to this. I always ask people, how do you want to feel? And what do you want to create for your life? And when you ask yourself those two questions, so many of the answers are very obvious. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, if you start, it's like the Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind. If you start with the end, it's very, you know, uh, impactful to say at the end, like he says in the seven habits for effective living, what do I want on my tombstone? So yeah. he at that end point, and then he works backwards in the book from there in terms of, well, how do I become that person? And yeah. of course his thesis is it's predicated on habit building, you know? And if you start it from that, it's like, oh my God, sometimes you look and you're like, well, I'm certainly not living the life that's going to get me that. So let me start building some of these better habits. And um, so let's do this. I, I know as people are listening, they're probably, um, their curiosity is, is spiked in terms of the programs that you have. And especially since things are online, I mean, people listening all over the world can access your services and expertise and coaching and support to help them. So can you share, you know, some entry points for people into your programs and services? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the best easy free way is that I just started a Facebook community. That's a free one. Um, and I can put that if you want to, I don't know if you have it in the show notes or, um, yeah. And so people can just ask to be in that group. Um, and then the program that I'm, that, uh, that I'm doing is a four month, um, kind of mastermind group and one-on-one -on -one coaching, which I think is such an odd, I love the power of a group. I know you do too. Cause of, whenever yoga teachers, we love that sort of there's so much that you gain out of sharing with other people and um, knowing you're not alone. And, and I've always loved groups. And so that's a huge component of this, you know, weekly group coaching, but then there's also a one-on-one -on -one component, which is like what I was saying, where we really dial into like, what's going to move the needle for you? Because I'm all about like, let's get this 
let's get you these quick wins. So you start to feel better and make the change. This doesn't have to take years, right. To, to make these, to make a change that feels really good for you anyway. So I'm super excited. I'm launching it. Um, in February, it's called spark society. And it's a nod to my like original, original program. Um, and yeah, it'll be all online. So if you go to my website, AngelaWagner.com, um, all the links are there and you can book a call with me and we can just chat about it and see if it would be a good fit and kind of give you the details of it. If anybody wants to, you know, do some of this work. Got it. And so that's a Facebook group. I also know, cause I'm connected with you on Instagram. Tell us your Instagram handle. Yeah. It's the Angela Wagner. There's a lot of Angela Wagner's. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good. You just put the article before. The- I know it, it seemed kind of egotistical, but I was like, oh, it's actually easy to remember. Very easy. And I'm glad you got it. Cause I would have thought somebody else would have, would have grabbed that, that, yeah. that screen name. So that's great. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's wonderful. Well, I have just really enjoyed this for my own growth and development. And Aww. I certainly, um, I'm sure the listeners have found a lot of this really interesting and, you know, maybe we'll give them some pause and maybe we'll give them some just motivation to really put themselves first, whatever that looks like for them. So thank you so very much for being here today. I I really appreciate it. This will actually go live. Uh, We're recording it today on January uh, 17th and it's going to go live tonight. So it'll be. Oh, how exciting. Oh yeah. My, um, my podcast producer Jackson is awesome and he has a quick turnaround. So I usually uh, as long, if I can get folks on Mondays, i always post on Mondays. So if you're talking to me on a Monday by Monday night, Eastern time, it'll be up and running. So yeah. So it'll be up, uh, hot off the presses, they say, <laughs> oh, oh. See, one of those things. <laughs> well, I am so excited. I love, um, I don't, I don't know where I came across just on Instagram, you know, just having connected, I, I knew your name from like years ago. And then I just started seeing all this yoga stuff and, and I love, I mean, as much as I know people get kind of exhausted from being online, there is such an amazing, thing happening where people are reconnecting and, um, you know, this just would never happen. It certainly wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. And so, and I love, I love, I just want to say this. I love that you are helping teachers learn anatomy. It's a huge, um, passion of mine as well. And it's just so needed. So thank you for doing that work. Oh gosh, of course. I know. I think it's, you know, for every yoga teacher, when you find your niche, like you just, it's never worked. It's just like, you just love, it just oozes from your pores. And that's, um, you know, just finding your authentic way of sharing about what you love about yoga, about yeah. wellness, about helping people is really the doorway to just, you know, you never need to think about what am I going to post today or what content, like all those people that are like, Oh, I have to create content. I'm like, Oh my God, there's just endless things. And it just starts with you know, knowing what your, what your niche is and just really owning it. And I, I just feel that vibe from you as well. And, um, so I'm just really glad to share your, your wisdom with, with, uh, the podcast listeners. So I will send you the link within a couple of hours and we will get this up and running tonight. Um, and, uh, I'm really excited for people to hear it and we'll, stay in touch now that we've reconnected offline. And I'm really excited to maybe do some more other things with you and who knows what form. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I would love to collaborate with you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. 
and enjoy the rest of your day. And I'll chat with you offline. I'll send you the link shortly. Awesome. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you go, I want to let you know about a new mini course I just created as of October 2021. It's called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program mini course. It's essentially an introductory version to my signature program that teaches you anatomy so that you grow your confidence in sharing cues and sequences and in all those conversations you have with your students. If you're like some of the yoga teachers I speak to, you might feel as if you don't have the time to do my full program. That's one of the main reasons I created this mini course, which will give you all the same steps in my signature blueprint approach to teaching you anatomy and will allow you to complete it in much less time. There are 10 modules each of about 10 minutes each, and the entire program walks you through mini lessons from the larger program. You'll leave with specific new skills that you can start to use right away. You may also leave with a keen interest in enrolling in the larger program because your curiosity and confidence have been stoked. For you, the podcast listener, I'm offering $5 off the purchase price of the mini program, which is just priced at $27, so the cost will go down to $22 for you. Once you complete the mini course, you'll see in the next step section how to get a $50 credit to put towards the larger program should you decide to invest in that in the future. To purchase the mini program, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com, click the link for online courses, and select the mini course link. When you check out before you enter your credit card, enter the code podcast and you will receive the $5 off. I hope you enjoy the program. I hope it stokes your curiosity and builds your confidence. Namaste.